0: you clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland.
1: Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast uh, celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus the Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at Tower TowerJunkiesPod. And also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash viewer, where if you pledge $1 or $2 uh, per month, you get access to a plethora of audio recordings from... Just B-roll recordings across all of the podcasts we do um, There's about 112 or 13 episodes on there now uh, You get instant access to that And then if you pledge $5 you get access to that Plus audio commentaries and reaction videos um, And other fun stuff as well And finally if you pledge $10 a month You get access to all of that Plus early access to episodes that I put on there uh, Before I release the episodes uh, to the main feed and also, uh, unreleased stuff. So yeah, again, that's at patreon.com slash viewer. So, I am one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is... I uh, lost my notes, I need to find his name. Tiny! <laughs> Hello. Hi, Tiny, how's it going?
2: It's going good, man. How are th- How art thou?
1: Good! Out th- Art thou is th- all good? Um, <laughs> having a stroke. <laughs> um... I didn't, I didn't say this in Patreon and this, the listeners are gonna fucking hate me because this has nothing to do with anything. But and this is, it might actually sound kind of creepy, but I drove by your house today. Oh, did you? Um, I did because uh, I dropped off my mom, and she's like right next, like nearby. Yeah. Um. Uh, but uh, it's been a while since I've been like in the vicinity of your house, and that porch looks really nice.
2: Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a work um, in progress.
1: Yeah, it looks really good. I looked and I was like, oh, I didn't like I like I didn't realize like how much like has changed because you had that just kind of covered porch thing.
2: Yeah, we opened her up.
1: Yeah. And so I was just gazing at it, and then, like, I just fucking ran into someone's yard. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, if you guys want to check out Tiny's Porch, do you want to give the address?
2: I do not. Okay. Um,
1: so, uh, yeah. Okay. So today on the podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> but today on the podcast, we are continuing our ongoing series reviewing everything related to The Stand by Stephen King, and we are coming up on the end, closely now, soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, in this edition, we are reviewing episodes four, five, and six of the CBS All Access, soon to be called Paramount Plus, uh, miniseries, uh, of The Stand that premiered back in December and, uh, has been the, the final episode of it is going to be airing, uh, in a couple days on Thursday. So, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the House of the Dead. We're going to be talking about Fear and Loathing in New Vegas, and we're going to be talking about The Vigil, but Tiny, yeah. before we do that, uh-huh. we're going to do check-ins and news. Word. Yes. Do you have any Stephen King check-ins for the listeners of this podcast?
2: Very briefly, yes. Nice. I just finished listening to Apt Pupil. Nice. On the different seasons, uh collection of short stories so
1: nice yeah um, and you did that completely on your own and not for any project that we're doing
2: for later this year Did that's
1: true nice yeah i don't want to lie to you guys (laughs) i'm just not going to clarify that so go ahead (laughs) what did you think about people really briefly
2: it was really great i i could not remember if i had read it before Mm -hmm. but then like at least i listened to the audio audiobook from audible Mm -hmm. and um Within an hour, I was like, "I've read this before.
0: Nice.
2: I know I have, but I think I read like, like the novel, the novella as an individual book itself. Like, I don't think it was part of different seasons."
1: Oh, interesting. Okay,
2: because I know, I, I, I know I hadn't read, um, the body or mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption, right? Um, and so I was like, I, you know, I can't imagine that I opened up different seasons and just breeze past all that and didn't read that other stuff like i i I think i i remember like getting it from the library or something
1: oh interesting
2: yeah but it was it was a while ago i can't remember exactly when i read it but i it was a a long time ago like yeah teenager years um but uh yeah i i really 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 liked it a lot
1: nice and uh, you haven't seen the movie recently. Um, I yeah. like I was talking about uh, or talking not about <clears throat> you. I was talking to you before we were recording that. Like I have a memory of you liking the movie, or I had this uh, impression that you really liked the movie. Do you remember the movie, or how do you feel
2: about it? I, I remember parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, at the time I was on a big Brad Renfro kick, and mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Brad Renfro. Okay, um, and. Uh, I loved him being cast in that role. I thought it was, like, kind of perfect for him, so. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I remember liking the movie, and um, Ian McKellen is the the villain, if you Mm -hmm. will, Um, and he was obviously great, but, yeah, yeah, I I don't remember a ton about the movie, but I do remember liking it a lot. Interesting. Nice. It's it's been at least 10 years since I've seen Mm -hmm. the movie, so.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you'll watch it soon and maybe we'll record something possibly. I don't know. We could have a project on, on the, uh, in the kicker. You might see it on your face or on your, on your podcast feed, uh, June
2: 21st. Who knows, bro?
1: Who knows? Um, yeah. The world, I do. the world is a mystery. Yes. So, <laughs> um, anyway, that was dumb. <laughs> what I said, not you. Um, anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm excited to chat with you about that, though um, down the road. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, should I go into my
2: check-ins? Yeah, what do you got, bro?
1: Okay, I have I have a couple of interesting. Well, not really a couple of interesting ones. One, I do. I've I've really taken to, um, to to uh, reading the short story collections and listening to them on Audible. And what I've been doing is doing like Twitter threads. Um, so I think what I might do is pretty soon I might start every, uh, everything is eventual 14 short tales, 14 or 14. Yeah. 14 short tales. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So, oh, oh yes. Uh, like night shift and nightmares and dreamscapes have like 20 to 22. Holy shit. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yep. Um, some of them are like two pages. (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that, especially because Everything's Eventual has um The Little Sisters of Aluria uh, in it, which oh, yeah. is a novella uh, related to the Dark Tower. Yeah, it's Italian, right? Yep. So and I think at this point that's the only like directly related to the Dark Tower thing that I haven't read. Um, oh wow. Just about nice. Just about, um if you're not including the comics. Okay. So yeah. Wow! Yeah, so I am looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is not really necessarily Stephen Kingy, but it kind of is. So, um, <laughs> Tiny, did you ever see a movie that was in ni- released in nineteen ninety six? Had Rick Moranis and Tom Arnold? It was called Big Bully.
2: No, that doesn't even ring a bell.
1: Okay, so first of all, there is something in my brain like that kicks in the nostalgia of these like like this very specific type of like family comedy that was released in like the mid 1990s like there's something about like movies like House Arrest, Carpool, Big Bully, um oh I'm blanking on some Snow I, Day I, Snow, <laughs> Snow Day I guess <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh to to another extent like Little Giants and like just very 90s Comedy movies um, that are somewhat under the radar—they really like resonate with me in a big way. But Big Bully <laughs> is in that similar vein. It's like it was like the second or third or fourth Tom Arnold movie of 1996. <laughs> um, but it's basically about—it's about a um, a kid who is bullied and then he grows up. A kid who's bullied, he moves. Then he grows up and becomes a famous author, and the school, like his junior high, uh, calls him and asks him if he wants to take a teaching position at the junior high, because they're he's like the hometown hero and everything. Um, and he goes back, and his bully is now grown up. He's Tom Arnold, and he's the shop teacher, and shenanigans ensue. Okay. So, a couple of things. The reason that I'm tying this to my Stephen King check-ins is that I, I watched this movie on a whim. It's available on stars um right now to stream but i watched it because i had it came up in conversation just organically with mike on another pay on a a patreon episode on the podcast but i watched it because I, i like i was a huge fan of it when i was a kid and the thing that struck me about it two couple things one it's 1996 it's clearly like it's, it's pl- like, that beginning, there's a beginning portion that's the prologue that's him as a kid being bullied in, like, the, I don't know, 60s or 70s or something. Yes, mm-hmm. it would be 60s. I don't know. But, um, time. Um, <laughs> but he's being bullied and everything. It's, like, it's clearly, like, they're trying to do, like, a not a riff on it but like they're it's very much influenced by like oh like the like st- the kids in stand by me or like the kids in the sandlot but I'll okay. keep it to Stephen King with this with stand uh, stand by me but like it's it's just it's and it's kind of it's it's kind of not really that well-defined <laughs> in the movie it's like he has like a group of friends it's like oh this this kid was kind of a pyromaniac and this this was the only like it, he literally says this this kid was the only black kid we knew in in the whole town and he knew how to f- uh, shove his fist in his mouth and like that's his whole thing <laughs> um and like it was very much uh, oh and uh oh and he had a crush on a girl and everything—it's very much just laying the groundwork for for it. But it has that very, a very similar feel in tone to like the to stand by me, because hmm. um, it's like voice over, over narration. Like, oh, these were like the, the, my best friends and everything. Yeah. Um. But the the other the more direct Stephen King thing is that <laughs> Rick Moranis plays um, an author, and he comes back to his hometown and everything. And like, I'll say a couple of things here. One. Is that I'll do the complete Stephen King rundown for this. So, his, he's back in his hometown. He has, he's set up in a bookstore, um, with, for a book signing with his book and no one's interested in it. (laughs) Um, ever, like someone comes up and they're like, oh, um, uh, oh, he's like, oh, hey, i I wrote a book. Do you want me to sign it or whatever? And then they're like, oh, uh, no, I'm just like, where, where's that new Stephen King? <laughs> and like, there's like three or four people that are like come up and they ask him like for directions to where the new Stephen King was. Nice. Um, which I did, I did my due diligence. I know you
2: would. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was released in 1996, filmed in 1995. So if you were to infer that it'd be 1996, well, if it takes place in 1996, um, it would be probably Rose Matter. Oh, okay. Um, would be, would be the book that they would be looking for. Gotcha. But it's, it's funny because the escalation of that scene, cause like there were multiple people, like one's this like French woman who comes up and starts speaking French. And then he's like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And then she's like, I'm not going to butcher. I'm, yeah. that sounds <laughs> offensive. Jesus. She says French, 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 Stephen King. <laughs> um, but then the last guy that comes up is like this teenager, like nineties teenager guy. Like burnout kind of guy, and he's like, "Hey, you got that new Stephen King?" <laughs> and then he's like, "Uh, and uh, oh, he's just like, he's just like, I'll all three to back uh, horror fiction." Um, and then he's like, "Oh, what's this?" And then he picks up the book and he's like, "Oh, it's about," and he goes through his spiel. It's something like. Um, oh, it's about, it's about this man who loses his family and then finds himself along the way. <laughs> um, and then he's like, Oh, how do you lose him? And then, like, like Rick Marinus does a good job in this scene in the, in this movie because he's like, he, like a switch, uh, like a switch flips in his head and he's like, They were, they were murdered with a, with a hacksaw and so, <laughs> Like he goes like, very intense. And then, uh, and then he goes into a whole spiel and then, uh, the guy, the kid is like, Oh, like pet cemetery. And he's like, <laughs> Exactly like Pet Cemetery. <laughs> Um and it's funny because I watched this when I was in when it was like a released, um, mm-hmm. like it was like on heavy rotation on HBO. So in 1996. So this might be uh, no because I think that it miniseries was my first like exposure to anything Stephen King. Mm-hmm. But this was like the first, probably one of the first exposures to like Stephen King and pop culture. Well, maybe not because uh, the Simpsons parodies. But anyway. Um, that's that that's Uh, funny that
2: movie I bet would be so much better if uh, an asshole wasn't just describing the exact scene (laughs)
1: on a podcast
2: yes and (laughs) if Tom Arnold played the author and Rick Moranis played the bully (laughs) That would be just pretty like interesting. total role reversal type thing or uh, that, that against type, good. you know. Yeah. That, that would, would be pretty good. That'd be funny.
1: Um the movie's just okay. It's it's I mean it's pretty it's fine. Sure. Um check it out. It's called Big Bully. Um anyway. I won't. Uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that does it for check-ins. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh Stephen King news. I've got a few pieces of Stephen King news. Do you have anything okay. for news? I don't. Okay. No. Okay, so uh, since we last spoke on the podcast, Tiny, things have happened yeah. in the Stephen King-averse. Um, the big one. Uh, let's geek out over this. Stephen King has a new novel that is announced. It is going to be published August 3rd. It is called Billy Summers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a hitman who only kills bad guys. And I'll run through a couple of notes that I have. Uh, well, the one note that I have is that uh, according to, uh, I think, Lil- Lilja's library, um, it's going to be 528 pages, mm. which is about the same length as the Institute was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, <laughs> this is something interesting. Uh, someone on Reddit, I saw a comment on Reddit, and like this just stuck in my brain so hard because I'm such a fan of his narration in Pet Cemetery. But someone said... Uh it would be great if they got Michael C Hall to narrate because of the similarity in the in the um plot to Dexter. Yeah. Um so that's pretty cool. That'd but, be cool, yeah. Yeah, so Tiny uh how do you feel about Billy Summers?
2: Uh I'm excited it's cuz it's not um you know it's it's more it seems more thrillery and stuff mm-hmm. not not like a horror novel again. Yeah. Um which I guess he's been kind of in that vein for a while like mm-hmm. you know the Institute and uh Revival weren't like You know, full on horror. Um, the outsider was Mm. had some horror elements for sure. But um kind of missed more mystery detective yeah. So I mean, he's sort of like gotten away from that to an extent, um, or at least modified that uh that what he's most famous for, I guess. Right. Um, so I'm glad he's continuing that that sort of theme. Me too. Um, that's cool. And it it sounds really good.
1: Yeah. I agree. I'm I'm super excited about it. Like here as of this recording we're a few weeks away from um later being released on hardcase crime which i mean i'm that's going to be a, a short a short read um hmm. so like i'm i'm excited for that but it's also like like in my head up until like this wasn't the, uh, up until billy summers was announced i was thinking like i i want like a big stephen king thing i want something <laughs> kind of meaty yeah um So When is this coming out? Is this later this year? It is August 3rd. August, okay. Yes. So I'm really excited about it. There's an excerpt that um, I took the liberty of transcribing so that we can act it out. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. So, yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say about Big Bully. Never mind. I'm not going to say that. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so so that's exciting. I'm excited for it. And uh, we've got a few months to prepare, Tiny. Yeah, we do. Um, and then the other piece of news I have, I have a few other things for news. Um, one is that, uh, a week or so ago, um, Stephen King did a kind of live, um, um, panel, not panel thing, but like a, like a webinar. I don't know what it was, but it was called a winter evening with Stephen King. And again, from little just library, uh, They, uh, some, some of the information that came out from that kind of video conference thing, uh, was a couple things. One is that he said that for the past, for the last two months, oh my god, for the last two months, King has been working on a new book, and he said that this one will probably be long, so (laughs) that's exciting. Yeah. And then he also said he also kind of put the kabosh on uh, some Dark Tower stuff. He said, even though the Dark Tower is always present, King has no plans to write a new Dark Tower book. He's not saying never, but he doesn't see it happening. So hmm. that's kind of
2: I'm fine with that.
1: I guess I've always had this just intense like desire to uh, for him to write a book. And I've said it before on the podcast, but write a book from the perspective or about the Tet Corporation from the seventh mm-hmm. book. Um, and have it be about their like their little quartet that forms um uh to protect the protect the towers interests yeah. and uh fight the somber corporation uh that'd be good, yeah, or the somber somber group um and then just and then I would just it would just be so perfect to have them just have like like one line in the book that says the Ted corporation tried to make a movie as propaganda to like increase awareness <laughs> of the tower, but it wasn't that good because they didn't know what they were doing. They're not filmmakers. And that would be, that would make the dark tower movie canon in the dark tower universe. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: oh my God.
1: But anyway, um, so yeah, so that, that's cool. And, uh, a couple other things, uh, real brief, uh, news broke a couple of days ago that uh, I'll just read the headline. This is really nice. Stephen King helps kids publish pandemic inspired book. Um, so Stephen King's Foundation. This is from the Associated Press. Stephen King's Foundation covered the third cost of publishing a two hundred ninety-five or er, two hundred and ninety-page manuscript by students participating in uh, Farwell Elementary School's author studies program. The students started with Fletcher McKenzie and the passage of Ho- uh, the passage to Hole, a story about a Maine boy by uh, by Gary Savage, and then reworked it to reflect their experiences during the pandemic. And uh, hmm. Stephen King's Foundation. Covered over the cost of polishing it. Sweet. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yep. And then the final piece of news is that last Friday, Stephen King tweeted the following, I waited for a vaccination appointment and patience was rewarded. drive through in Pasco County, uh, Moderna, no adverse effects. I think it was the National Guard running the show. Very cool. Get it done, folks. Let's kill this thing. Nice. So Stephen Edward King is, Edwin King is now vaccinated. Nice. At least partially right coronavirus coronavirus that's good so yeah and that led me i had i didn't tweet this because frankly i don't they say never meet your heroes so (laughs) if i were to tweet this steven would have seen it and we would have become best friends because is because it is such a brilliant uh joke but so i'm just going to keep it close to the vest uh more like steven vaccine am i right (laughs)
2: No, you're you're not.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll i uh, I'll I'll head down to Florida, Steve, to, to visit you sometime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, he lives in Florida. Like he has a residence in Florida. Florida. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Like that's where he got the vaccine was. Uh,
2: oh, I see. Yep. Okay. In Pasco County. He probably goes down there for the winter.
1: I uh, probably. Yeah.
2: Can't blame him.
1: Yep. Lives in on Casey Key.
2: Oh wow! All down in yeah. the Keys. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay, so all right, so that's enough uh bullshitting yeah. <laughs> check-ins and news and everything. So uh yeah, let's get into our reviews. Um like I said, we're gonna be reviewing episodes four through seven, uh four through six, I'm sorry, of the stand on CBS All Access, soon to be called Paramount Plus um yeah and like we did last time we are going to be spoiling the episodes individually um as we go through the reviews so uh we're not going to do like a non-spoiler and spoiler review we're just going to re- spoil the episodes as we go along so fair warning um let's get into episode four the house of the dead all right tell me you gotta
0: you gotta ride the rest of the way i
3: wish my main man nick could come I wish I didn't have to go all alone. Watch the moon and you'll be watching the moon? Hey, Tommy, do you understand why Nick can't go with you? Laws, yes. Go and watch, come back and tell.
1: The House of the Dead originally aired on uh, CBS All Access on January seventh, twenty twenty one. In the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is the Boulder Free Zone Committee looks to solidify their leadership and bolster the community with a town hall meeting. But Flag continues to make inroads as he plots to destroy the newly forming society from within. So, Tiny, uh, we're, we're four episodes into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've discussed our f- feelings about episodes one through three. How did you feel, kind of in broad terms, about the House of the Dead? And then we can kind of go beat beat by beat as I
2: go through my stupid notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought this was a pretty solid episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the, the committee, like, kind of debating the... Picking the spies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was good discussion and... Um, I uh, there was some I, I I really liked the whole um, w- when they met Dana Jurgens and that whole mm-hmm. confrontation on the road was really incredible. Um, so yeah, there's there were some good things in this in this uh, in this episode for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I think my enthusiasm started to wane a little bit for for the series overall um during this episode but okay. i i still think it's a solid episode
1: yeah. nice um yeah i kind of thought that it had its ups and downs um it felt closer to what i thought the show should have been from the beginning like all the stuff with the committee and the boulder free zone and all that like that is stuff that i feel like was done well but belonged in, like, the first episode of the series to introduce us to things. Yes. Um, and I'm gonna kind of go, I'm gonna forego my the order of my notes and everything and just say that, well, I can actually dig into it here. So the episode opens, um, with the committee, um at the town hall meeting mm-hmm. and what I thought was really good like i've I've been kind of a detractor of the um the non-linear format and with good cause <laughs> yeah but the way that that the way that the committee talking at the town hall is intercut with shots of the ad hoc committee, like planning out that town hall meeting and figuring out like who speaks and then like what exactly they're going to say and what they're not going to say that like that inter intercutting thing I felt worked really well Mm -hmm. and really is how the series should have started. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said last episode that I feel like if they wanted to do the nonlinear thing, they should have introduced us to the boulder free zone from the outset, like entry, like have that be the kind of the, um, for lack of a better comparison, the law, the, the lost, the Island (laughs) from lost, like have the boulder free zone, be the Island that the characters are in and have all of their experiences during the outbreak and leading up to them getting to Boulder, be the fly, the off Island flashbacks. Yeah. Um, they could have spent a few episodes building that up introducing the characters introducing their struggles and then we could have more of them as like committee members and seeing them as they're trying to reform society and everything um but here we're 4 episodes in <laughs> and we're just getting this town hall meeting and getting that and it just feels just so out of whack and out of uh, out of order yeah um but I will say that the actual town hall meeting, I loved it quite a bit. Um, oh, I loved it. Um, I, I think that the, the indignant, uh, free zone members, being all shitty about, oh, when is when is the power going to be back on? Like, okay, settle down. For dude.
2: real, calm down.
1: You're one of maybe a few thousand people left on Earth. Like, you can right. go, like, by candlelight for a couple days.
2: Yeah, shut the hell up.
1: Yeah, like, that just felt way too contrived. Yeah. Um, so, um, that, uh, you know, but I just, I really liked the way that the committee was was planning out the thing. And I've got to say, again... Uh, one of the MVPs of the show is, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but Jovan, uh, Adepo. Mm-hmm. Um, when Larry takes over for Stu and he does, like, he works the crowd and he's, he's, like, he's, he's getting the engagement up and everything. I'm like, oh, uh, like, oh, like, it was a fist pumping, like, Larry Underwood. Like, yeah. Man, that, like, that was really good. Mm hmm. Um,
2: I agree. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, stolen some scenes for sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, so I, I don't know. It feels like as we're flashing back to the committee planning out the town hall meeting, Franny is arguing that they don't know the truth about like, because the, they're arguing about what they, what they need to say about, about Randall Flagg. And she's like, well, we don't really know the truth or anything, or we don't know what's real, or if it's real. And that kind of got under my skin, because on the surface, I love... Like, that's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be they're unsure of it and everything. But also, in the previous episode, they watched a guy who came into town with crucifix scars. Right. They watched him, like, be killed by an a demon entity that spoke to them... Through his body, like yeah, there's not really much room for, you know, questioning whether and what's real and what's not. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. That's true. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think I feel like you know the character of Glenn Bateman is supposed to be the voice of reason, and mm-hmm. um, you know, he's very. I I don't even know how to how to put him in a box. Just very intellectual and and, and not a not a man of faith, man of science kind right. of guy, right? And uh, he he continues that theme even through the next several episodes and stuff like that. Of mm-hmm. like I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a god and stuff like that. I don't know if that's who yeah. Mother Abigail's talking to and everything. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I I get that. I'm with you, but it's okay. like, um, you know, she's. Uh, she came to you in your dreams and shit like yeah. like you're all having the same dream like that's pretty supernatural and that's pretty incredible yeah. I, I don't know like it's that's an odd theme and like if he if i feel like in the book he was having these opinions early on and then he sort of evolved as a character in the book but i i don't see that as much um in the series I,
1: absolutely and it's it's a shame and to that point about that kind of shared delusion of of the dreams and everything i kind of feel like because he kind of talks about how in that scene he he like lightly talks about well you know we don't know what we saw or whatever um because they bring up like oh yeah we saw him we saw him die and everything but yeah. he the, he's he like <clears throat> kind of dismisses it and i'm like Honestly, if the show was better written and like it had stronger writing, I feel like this would have been a good place for them to invent like this other element of it where like what if if they if they're going to go all in on like showing the visions of 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 the man in uh, the man in black to the committee members and have him threatening him and every them and everything, like it would have been an interesting avenue. If they had the time and the writing prowess of it, um, <laughs> to to like have them discuss like, what if this is a byproduct of being immune to this illness? Like, what if? Oh yeah. What if the dreams aren't real? We're just all having the shared delusion because our body is able to fight off this deadly disease. Hmm. Like, I don't know the logistics. That's interesting. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It would have been better, but you know, whatever. Right. Um, and then actually at the kind of a big scene in the book sort of is Harold calling for the ad hoc committee to become official. And in Mm -hmm. the book, he does it in a kind of like this, like a, like a, well, like kind of a Norman Bates, like, uh, I wouldn't hurt a fly. They, this is what this will throw them off and everything. But we don't really get that in the, in the show. Yeah. It's just like, he's just doing it. Like they don't set up like how, like the only way that that's weird or that, that has any kind of, um, Lasting appeal is just because we saw him talk about killing Stuart do du- uh, Stewart, Stewart, dogcock, Rudman, <laughs> um, three episodes ago, right? Um, like it's not part of his plan, but yeah, I don't know. So then Harold goes home after the meeting, and Nadine's there, and we get again like this. This whole show, it, it's so frustrating to me. It is um, because it is introducing characters and introducing character dynamics and. It's just putting like it's throwing it at the wall. It's not properly setting it up. Like Yeah. Flag told Nadine like, "Oh, I I already have like the chosen one to to kill uh to kill the old woman and her five puppets and everything. You just need to pull the trigger." And it's like, "Okay, fine." But it's just like it's moving through the paces of the story instead of organically bringing it to us. It's just him saying like, "This is what you need to do." And then her doing that exact thing. It I don't know. It just feels so something
2: it's there's, there's so many like half characters and quarter characters. Yes. And these are tent pole fucking characters. Like Nick, I'm kind of coming to this a little early, but I think it's, Mm. it's fine to bring it in here. Nick Andros through the eight episodes I've watched is half, half the character of the books. Yep. If that, if that, uh, mother Abigail is barely a character. Oh my... Yeah? Yeah? Barely a character in the show. Uh, And... Uh, I'll talk about it more other characters right. later, but yeah, it's, it's, it's it's insane to me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it makes me appreciate the nineties series so right. much. Like what Ruby D did with the character was yes. eons better than, and I think, I think it's writing. Like I'm not shitting on Whoopi Goldberg. I think right. she, her performance has been satisfactory, but yeah. uh, Ruby D's version was so much more just lovable and yes. you wanted to give her a hug and she was so much more involved and the, the, tumultuous thoughts she goes through and all that mm. stuff are there and present. And it's just so not in this series.
1: Yeah. The thing that I keep coming back to as like, I've watched the six episodes that we've, that we are in the process of reviewing. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to is that I have read this book several times and we've reviewed the book on the podcast in parts. We have spent hours of our lives dissecting this text and <laughs> watching the adaptation from the nineties and dissecting that and talking about that. I know this story about as well as I'll ever know it essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it is almost impressive the way that the, the way that the people that made this adaptation are able to make a story that I know so intimately and I know the characters so vividly and so well. And it is, it is a triumph on their part that they made a product that makes me just not give a shit about any of the characters. Yep. And it is it is one of the most frustrating things about this entire adaptation. Yeah. Um because we'll talk as when we get to the episode about this and everything, but there's like pivotal moments in the story that like wrecked me when I read them and like when I saw them in the in the show, I'm like rolling my eyes because I'm just it's so weird that they don't get it. <laughs>
2: like, I know it is. It's so frustrating. And we know that like Josh Boone is a big Stephen King fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so weird.
1: Yep. Um. So after Harold and Nadine kind of have their premature ejaculation thing, <laughs> uh, which I, whatever, Um, we get a flashback to Harold and Franny and Harold is creepily watching her sleep and everything. And then he tries to kiss her when he, when she wakes up and everything. And, it's, it's just super cringy.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: Yeah. Um, I do like the writing in this flashback, though, um, even if yeah. it's slightly frustrating. I, <laughs> I
2: really like Owen Teague in this. Oh, my. Yeah. He's... Yeah. He's, he did a great job. He's
1: fantastic. Yeah. Like, that entitled, like, nice guy trademark yeah. uh, thing, and that kind of, like, entitled... Like, he... he he, ex- it's expected that he, uh, that he in, he will win her or get her, quote. Right. Um,
2: and she's just not like, she's just not that into you, dude. He has this look <laughs> on his face and like the body language, like, this is gonna work. He's like, yes. this, this is gonna happen. This is gonna work. And it's just like, yes. dude, it's so not. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I really, that was good acting on his part. The, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, but also the dialogue, it just, uh, so like he, I'm back and forth on this. How did you feel about this line of dialogue where um, Harold was talking about how it's meant to be for them and and they're meant to be together because of their, it's the apocalypse and everything. And so she says, no, it's not. I will never feel these things for you, which that's awesome. The direct and to the point. Mm-hmm. But Harold says, oh, oh, is this about Stu Redman? And like, in my notes, I have, you mean the guy you met on the road that one time? For five minutes? For five minutes? Yeah. Like, I I don't know. And then I started thinking, like, or oh, is this after they join up later? And I was, like, in all caps, I have, this is the problem with the nonlinear structure. Right. You don't spend enough time with these characters and you lose the plot. I, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I agree yeah and then so after that we get the roadblock thing with the with the guy yeah that was pretty that was intense and that was that was really cool. um how'd you feel about that scene overall?
2: I re- actually really really liked it. I was like kind of on the edge of my seat with it um and obviously, I knew that you know <laughs> uh Harold and Franny aren't gonna die or anything right. like that, but uh just the it was, it was just so well done that it yeah. was really intense. Um, and, and seeing Harold kind of crumble, mm-hmm. uh, was, um, good Schadenfreude, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and just entertaining and, and, in, in keep, in keeping with the character as well. Yeah. Um, cause he's not, you know, <laughs> that's not, he's fumbling with the, with the gun and stuff right. like that when he meets Stu Redmond, um, when they had that their little meat cute mm-hmm. um, right. <laughs> and he's fumbling <laughs> with a gun. And like, that's just so in keeping with his character. I thought that that's was a good great. point. I, I yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, so I, I just, <laughs> again, great, great acting by Owen Teague. And mm-hmm. I didn't look up the name of the actor who was the aggressor <laughs> yeah. guy, uh, but he was really effective and over the top Trump, Trump supporter kind of guy. He,
1: he was and <clears throat> like he does that whole alpha male snowflake bullshit thing. <laughs> yeah. Which I I got a kick out of, but also I'm like I'm like, that's great. I'm I'm in line with like what they're saying and everything because that's all fucking ridiculous and everything. But also it's like I maybe spend like I I appreciate the um, injection of social commentary and everything into this, but maybe develop the characters first and then (laughs) toy with the social commentary stuff.
2: Yeah, Yeah. true.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um and then the group get group gets together and then then and Fran Franny uh have like a a little a little sweet moment by the fire mm-hmm. and I love the juxtaposition of their scene versus Harold and Franny's scene yeah totally um, earlier like it it reminds me of what I said about liking the the difference in uh in how Larry. Handles Rita and how Larry lives with Nadine Um, in episode two. Like, here we see these two characters that are, like, they are on the same wavelength. They're on the same level. They're speaking openly about their experience and their fears and everything. And, like, he's comforting her. She's confiding in him and everything. Like, this is a very organic and in really good, like, demonstration of just two people connecting on 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 that level, and it's really cool how it's juxtaposed with Harold trying to force an expected connection and her just not having it because she's just not in, She's just not into you, dude. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. I just I really like the way that that was that was handled.
2: Right. Um. Um. I I agree, and I think it's um. I, I like the juxtaposition as well. Mm-hmm. Um But again, it, uh, a failure of the show with the characterization is that, is, are we, are we supposed to think that Stu is already having feelings for her at this point? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like I was, was he, was it like a love at first sight thing when mm-hmm. he, when they met for the first time, was it, did he start feeling things when he saw the painting that, mm-hmm. that Glenn painted? I don't know. And I think part of it is just the absolute shit writing when it comes to their relationship because there's, there is zero intimacy between them Mm -hmm. until like, I think it's episode six or whatever. Yeah. Um, later on, it's, it's just not there. Like, you, you kind of, you know, they're together or whatever. Right. But there's just no intimacy. Like, it's just awful. And like, I, I don't know if he's, if If Stu is approaching this conversation with her from a point of I want to win her affection, mm. or is it just I'm just trying to be a decent human being and she went through something right. traumatic, so I want to comfort her and talk to her and get to know her and i I don't know and that's that's my issue with that scene mm-hmm credit to james marsden and um what's her name odessa Odessa young Young. odessa young Young. i think they both did a good job in the scene Mm -hmm. and i I liked them odessa young is growing on me um, uh throughout these episodes as a performer right um so yeah i I, credit to them i just think it's just again absolute dog cock riding (laughs) right
1: (laughs) it and it's the thing that's that i struggle with throughout all of these episodes is that It feels like it's all, it feels like everything is just piecemealed together. It's Mm -hmm. like we're not getting the evolution of like Larry following Harold's signs. We're not getting Stu like growing an affection for Franny. We're not getting like the animosity that Harold feels toward the world like organically built up. It's just we're seeing bits and pieces out of sync and out of time, uh, out of the timeline. And we're just expected to just put it together as, as character development. And it just doesn't work at all.
2: Right. Um, jumbled up puzzle pieces. Yep.
1: So let's jump ahead and talk about the committee deciding on sending the spies. Yeah. Which is another, another issue with the writing that's like, okay, you have the same episode, the same episode where they're, they're setting up the town hall meeting and they're, they're, doing like the big town hall meeting where they're introducing, not they're introducing the committee essentially. And they're, they're acting as a committee. And in that same episode, you have them like figuring out to send out spies. Like again, it's just all jumbled. Like, like they should have done the setting up the committee in the early episodes so that we had the groundwork to have like actual stakes at stake with setting up the, (laughs) setting up the spies yeah just god damn it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and like so the spies of course are dana jurgens judge ferris and tom cullen mm-hmm. and we get just bits and pieces of them like saying like oh, okay well who's the, what what uh who do you think should be a spy oh i think dana jurgens should we saw her a few scenes ago and she's a badass <laughs> and she confirms that and she's like yeah i'm gonna be a badass i'm gonna go and be a spy.'" Um, this is my, literally the second time I'm on screen in this entire series. <laughs> Let me go into the lines then. And then Judge Ferris is like, well, she's old. So right. let's send her
2: again. Not even a character. No, like just no. not present at all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then Tom Cullen gets a flashback because he's a ma, he's a major character. Yeah. And it's just like, I like the flashback. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm. I will say to their credit. I, I'm glad that they didn't do the hypnotism thing.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think that was yeah. yeah. And, and again, the that I think I think they nailed that character. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. To their to their credit, yeah. um, him and I forget the actor's name.
1: Uh, uh, Brad William Henke.
2: Henke, yeah, no. that's right, Brad. Yeah, so he, crushing it.
1: Yes. So we do get a flashback of three months earlier because cause Nick I- at the committee is saying, like, well, he'll surprise you because um, they're debating whether or not they should send Tom. Yeah. And the flashback is Julie Lowry um, kind of messing with them and then firing a gun at them and and Tom uh, saving Nick and getting getting them away from, from crazy Julie Lowry. mm mm-hmm. um, How do you feel about that flashback?
2: I thought that was a good – again, a good um – a good way to kind of combine a few things, actually, uh, structurally. I think it was, it was well done. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, in the book there's the whole tornado thing. Yeah. Um, that would have been a bit of a detour, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the way they kind of combined the whole Julie, Low- Julie Lowry interaction with that mm-hmm. sort of same sentiment. Um, I thought that was pretty good. Um, but again, just the, the relationship between Nick Andros and Tom Cullen is not, not realized to any any kind of satisfactory degree yeah. like it's they tried a little bit and there's a few scenes but it's like compared to the 90s miniseries 90s miniseries and then compared to the book it's just a joke yeah absolutely. basically um yeah
1: yeah um when they get out of that like department store warehouse where they are um did you did you catch the stephen king cameo no no oh, oh well, yeah was it a cardboard cutout uh no it was on the hemmingford home sign uh, that's right. He was like That's an advertisement. right, yeah. It's like a poster.
2: Like, yeah, I did see that.
1: Yeah, I, I got a huge... I, that put a smile on my face. Yeah. And also, I'm like... <laughs> like it, it seems not not derogatory or anything, but it's like, oh, you know, Stephen King's old now, guys. Just
2: kind of breaking balls a little yeah. bit. Yeah, like, you old man. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, that was funny.
1: How did you feel... So, the titular House of the Dead. So, from my memory, like, Hemingford Home is in Nebraska in the book and like that's where where she is and then they go to boulder yeah in this iteration though hemingford home is like a retirement community that she lives in in boulder in boulder yeah yeah and i mean i'm fine with that but i i thought it was kind of it was an interesting thing except that it's we just see a a piece of it and it's not developed or it's not set up or anything but she's in this this retirement community or this this convalescence home whatever um and she's surrounded just by dead bodies and she's talking to the dead bodies and again it's just it's a a small vignette vignette yeah and it's not anything like because that could have been developed into something more to actually develop the character like wait is she actually is she crazy or like what's going on right but yeah i don't know but yeah yeah
2: and they had plenty that's the other thing they have so much time compared to the 90s miniseries, which was... That was four episodes, right? Yeah. Then they were about an hour and a half each. Yep. So, I mean, four and a half hours versus nine hours. Yeah. And we're still, like, missing these big chunks and, like, this important stuff that was actually in the other series and was... Right. Again, that series was pretty solid and 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 Mm -hmm. decent and like get past the campiness and it's a pretty solid kind of good yeah series that like you can enjoy but like this is it's it's missing so much crap and it's crazy Mm -hmm. that they weren't they didn't find a way to work huge stuff in right and 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 realize characters and character relationships and Like that's if you don't do anything else, you have to do that exactly. The ninety series did that, and it failed mm-hmm. in other areas, but it was still enjoyable because right. because of that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it cared about the characters. Right. It's just it's so mind-boggling. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but a thing that I did like, um, in this episode was the sending off of the spies.
3: Uh
1: huh. Um, <laughs> that, the way you said that reminded me of uh, the institute, uh, the sheriff. Uh huh. Uh-huh, oh yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I, I really like the way, again, Tom Cullen, I, I I love like the performance there. Yeah. Or he, he's like, I wish that my main man Nick could come. Mm. Um, I thought that was really beautiful. And then it's, and then it's, uh, it's followed up with him like hugging Larry and being like, you have an earring.
2: Um,
1: I was like, that's, that's just, that's charming as hell. It really is. is. Great. Yeah.
2: Um. So lovable.
1: Absolutely. And then. What I loved about the sending off of the spies sequence is that it's, 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 uh, there's voiceover of, um, Franny writing to her, uh, presumably her unborn child. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and part of it is like she says that I hope you can forgive us for what we've done in terms of like sending these people off to their certain death. Um, I just, I love that because it's emotional. It's foreboding. It is in keeping with Stephen King, like the way he does foreshadowing and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, this whole sequence with sending off the spies, I really feel like it's just what the show should have been across the board. Yeah. Um And then to kind of close out this episode, we get Harold and Nadine uh getting the dynamite while the committee turns on the power and everything. Right, right, um, right. I do. The reason I bring up the turning on the power is I thought it was so awesome to have Larry Underwood like on the roof playing the guitar, yeah. playing America the Beautiful. That was cool. That was really cool. And I honestly, I will go on record and say this. I think that that is an improvement over them singing the national anthem at the committee meeting in the book. Yeah,
2: I would say um, so too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. But as Harold and Nadine are getting the dynamite, uh, Teddy Weizak fulfills his <laughs> his very clear destiny from the second that he's on screen in the first episode. Like yeah. he had a target on his back. Yep. The entire like he was dead from the moment he started talking in this series. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and I mean it's fine. Like it's it's fine. Um, How would you feel about
2: this scene? Yeah, it was sad, and and I thought it was. Um again pretty compelling how yeah. they're sneaking around to get the explosives while everybody else is distracted with the power coming back mm-hmm. on and you know it's it was a, a satisfactory confluence of events that Teddy found them and he had yeah. had to kill them and stuff like that um yeah. Yeah, again it, it was predictable right but mm-hmm. um Still, still effective, I think. I, yeah. And again, it's something that's not in the book and it's not in the other series. And it's, right. yeah, I, I thought it was like, okay, you, you did something. C- congratulations. You, yeah. achieve, you achieved, you achieve something. Yeah. Um, derivative as it might be, but, right. um,
1: and I yeah. don't fault it for being like predictable or anything. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to knock the show, uh, knock against the show for that, but it also just, feels like you have such flimsy characterization across the board that of course this one character is going to stick out like a sore thumb yeah um when you're spending so much time with him and not like not leveling that with characters that are pivotal in the story and will be pivotal later um even if you're just huh, spoiler for our next uh thing or the one after that i think i don't know but uh even even if it's just something as simple as Showing them jerking off to an explosion that they're setting. Um, <laughs> oh so, oh my god! <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but overall thoughts on House of the Dead?
2: Yeah, it was it was a decent episode. It was a solid episode. Um, again, yeah. there's some some. Plot points that actually worked out and that were kind of kind of surprising and kind of fun, mm-hmm. um, and a few decent character things. Um, but overall, like again, my enthusiasm—I was like, it should be better by this point. <laughs> it's Absolutely. like we're co- we're coming to the halfway point; it should be i should be more excited than i am yes and it's i it's just not there for me so same here
1: and yeah. and honestly like it's pretty solid overall but like my blurb that i have written out is pretty solid overall but the problems with the series are deeper than single episode quality can can be yeah uh the structure is still what's holding it back mm-hmm. which is nice because the next episode kind of breaks free from that structure
2: um right
1: yeah uh, Alright, so that's our review of episode 4 The House of the Dead And now we're going to go into our review of episode 5 Fear and Loathing in New Vegas yeah. uh, Of course we're going to spoil the episode So fair warning Uh, this episode aired just just two days before Young Tiny's birthday on uh, <laughs> January 14th, 2021. Um, the plot summary is, in Las Vegas, Dana tries to get closer to Flag. In Boulder, Stu and Franny have Harold to dinner. Um, and so, really... My, my, my first note is Vegas, baby. Oh my God. Um, so, uh, yeah, what did you think of, what did you think overall about this episode just in broad terms? And we can go kind of dig into it a little bit deeper. And, uh, how'd you feel about the depiction of of New Vegas?
2: (laughs) Oh man. So this is where the train really starts to derail for Mm me. It's, it's just, the, the, the my enthusiasm is pretty much gone at this point um because it's strictly because of the depiction of new vegas um uh, because i i was excited to see what they did with that because it's not i feel like new vegas in the the 90s series and even in the book isn't you don't have a great overall picture of it and it's I not agree. it's not super descriptive and mm-hmm. that's fine i'm not faulting it for that but Josh Boone and company went for like a full vision of it mm-hmm. here and they they did a few things right and I think that were actually very effective mm-hmm. um like the whole it has this whole Sodom and Gomorrah feel it's very yeah. hedonistic like um free sex and violence do whatever you want and mm-hmm. you know and it's it's really disturbing i thought it, i was actually very disturbed by it like the whole the drained pool where they make people fight to the death, like, yeah. that's fucked up. And it was... Right. I, I was, like, genuinely, like, oh, my God, this is awful. Um, but juxtapose that, or it's... That is coupled with whatever the fuck Nat Wolf is doing with Lloyd Henry <laughs> and... What the fuck is he? Like, I just can't. And, and then I think, uh, <laughs> Randall Flagg goes off the rails too. Mm-hmm. And like, again, I'm kind of getting to later episodes, but like mm-hmm. just, he gets really goofy. Lloyd Henry is a goddamn cartoon. <laughs> I, I just. Oh my God. It just went so off the fucking rails for me. And I, I can't like, he's a fuck boy. Like that's what, mm-hmm. that's what came to mind too. Like Lloyd Henry is just like a fuckboy Who's mm-hmm. who has a disturbing job that he can't get. I don't know. I, I thought it was such a weird interpretation of that character. And it, it, he is, he is, he is new Vegas, right? That he's mm-hmm. supposed to be the iteration of that right. town. And, he just threw that all off, like all, all everything they were building with the disturbing practices and, and whatever that goes on in new Vegas was just mm-hmm. completely thrown off by whatever the fuck he's doing with this character. Um, and I, t- I talked to you briefly that they interviewed Nat Wolf on the Kingcast. Right. And I, I really respect him as an actor. I still respect him Me as too. an actor. And he, he went, He interpreted that character a certain way Mm -hmm. and he wanted to approach that character in that way, and that's fine. I respect that. But I just feel like it was the way, way, way wrong decision. (laughs) And, um, he, uh, he also said that, uh, Josh Boone wanted, he wanted the, the free zone and the characters in the free zone to be like the antagonists of like a, um, uh, um, Steven Spielberg type right. movie protagonist. Protagonist, yeah, like a like a like a Steven like Spielberg an type.
1: Entertainment movie. protagonist. Yes,
2: there you go. Yeah. And then he wanted New Vegas to be like Oliver Stone villains, right? And that's kind of what they got—like mm. natural born killers, crazy, off the wall, goofy ass shit, yeah. just not done very well. Right. Um, which I I'm. Hit or miss on Oliver Stone, but um, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, I, I was like, that's that's actually what they achieved, but it, you know, with a weird ass non linear story storytelling characteristic that didn't go very well. Um, but I, I I I am just so completely against what they did with Lloyd Henry and <laughs> and and a lot of the new Vegas characters. They were just so yeah. off the fucking wall and over the over the top and just not like they th- there were so many things that were effective but then they would cut to one of these goofy ass characters most notably Lloyd Henry that I just mm. I and like uh, Julie Lowry was was she was over the top two not to the Lloyd Henry extent but right. um, I just I just could not get behind it and it completely took me out of this whole fucking series
1: that see that's interesting because I can't I can't f- fault you for anything i can't the fault your stars any of that but no but i can't fault any of that or fault you on any of that but something about the overall aesthetic of new vegas kind of worked for me yeah um just because it felt like this kind of like late 80s early 90s like punk rock like uh, apocalyptic kind of depiction Mm -hmm. um like the like the announcer of, of the fights is this woman with this feathery mohawk. Yeah. And I'm like, that that stuff is kinda cool. Kind of Mad Max
2: type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, like I can meet it halfway there and appreciate what it did for like in terms of that and and that overall aesthetic. Yeah. And I can even kind of get on board with with Nat Wolf's portrayal of Lloyd Henry. Um almost. Like <laughs> like we talked Previous, like before, we reviewed this. Well, like we talked a while ago when you first saw it, and like, like I rewatched it tonight because I didn't catch or I didn't remember like the line that you said that was so ridiculous that that Lloyd Henry said. And I yeah. made a note of it, and yeah, were you gonna do it? I was. Okay,
2: go ahead. Welcome to hell. Henry- Like he seriously goes it so for like fucking prolonged 15 syllables. <laughs> oh my god.
1: It is, it is so like it reminds <sighs> me of like I've I've like an idiot I'm well not like an idiot, but I've been watching a lot of Family Guy just on the in the background. <laughs> yeah. And like Family Guy, in my opinion, is one of the laziest written so- like songs. Uh laziest written like shows because Every single episode has at least one really ridiculous, elongated joke. And I I have this theory that the writers of Family Guy build these scenes into their episodes so that they can lengthen or shorten it so that they can meet the time for the episode. (laughs) So they don't have to do the extra work of actually editing or writing a plot that that will fit into a 22-minute runtime. Wow. And it's it's, because it's like almost every episode. Yeah. And like that's exactly how this <laughs> felt. Like, yeah. all right, Nat, let's just like give it your all. Right, we'll we'll cut it down, <laughs> or we'll you know we'll put we'll loop it if we need more time. Oh my
2: God, <laughs> um, take a deep breath, Nat. Yes. really belt it out there. <laughs> um, God. Yeah, and he's like in several scenes, he's dressed like fucking Eddie Murphy, <laughs> delirious, yes. and he's wearing a goddamn fedora. <laughs> and like, what the fuck were I, they doing? He's wearing like a some kind of, like, Versace crazy-ass silk shirt with all these patterns on it. And at one point where, like... I think it's in a different episode, but I'll I'll just bring it up here. He's, like... I I think maybe he's taking one of the characters up to the penthouse to meet Randall Flagg, and, like, Mm. they're walking through the main floor where everybody's having orgies and shit and like he walks by these two people who are having sex and he's like "oh yeah" or something like that and he like he starts like pantomiming like humping the air oh, I'm like god. "what the fuck is happening" <laughs> yeah. is this a god is this like hbo's real sex like what the fuck is going on here i i, I don't know is he 13 he's like,
1: like once one one uh one step short of like carrying around a large pizza and be like did you order a large sausage <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah
2: oh my it, god
1: i yeah i something about his style and his demeanor it is taken to 11 and that is that yeah. is a wrong choice in my opinion yeah but there's something about like the kind of like, um, very, uh, goofy flashiness and the flamboyance, uh, flamboyant nature of his character as he's just going all in on that. I mean, he's like, he's, he's like a coked out weird guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it kind of works, but it also doesn't at the same time <laughs> Or it's like yeah. too much, too much.
2: <clears throat> yeah. It's too, it's way too much.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, so kind of kind of going back and ta- talking more about New Vegas and stuff there's something that I kind of want to get your read on this tiny um mm-hmm. when we see like we see the first scene is them like introducing uh uh Lloyd uh, to um Dana and everything and Dana's like that also kind of bothered me like oh you've been asking a lot of questions like 20 minutes ago in the in the show she was being sent off to vegas like right just it's vignettes it's like don't like just fucking show like show us don't tell us these things right but then we get tom cullen arriving and like he's almost made he's almost put into the slave pit or whatever right but then one of the guards says you know randall flag's uh policy if anyone comes here willingly." they're a citizen automatically. Mm -hmm. And, like, we don't get a lot of that in terms of, like, we don't get a lot of of Vegas or Flag's regime in the book because that is held back until the last portion of the book, which is the shortest portion of the book. How did you feel about that? Because there's certain aspects of that and later in this episode, some things that make it seem like they're playing into Randall Flag as this manipulator and... (laughs) This person that's manipulating people into into just accepting this world. Uh, did that strike a chord with you at all, or how would you feel about it?
2: It definitely, it stuck out to me for sure, and I don't remember there being a line like that in the book. I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah and it wasn't a, I, I, I liked it as an idea, because I think the, I think the debauchery, for lack of a better word, um, was nowhere near as present in the book yeah as it is in this in this series um and i feel like the characters in vegas were much more subdued and muted and normal for lack of a better term um than what was depicted in the in the series as well um and so i feel like you know, especially with like when when trash can man shows up he's accepted even though he's a really odd antisocial strange person he's accepted and he, he's because like naturally he becomes part of the group mm-hmm. and i feel like that that aspect of the story couldn't happen in this type of vegas mm-hmm. because it is so fucked up, frankly, where they have, like, slave pits and, again, people yeah. fighting each other to the death and all this crazy shit going on. It doesn't feel... That that concept where that guy says, anyone who comes here freely is a citizen, that seems out of place for that, for right. the Vegas they present in the series. Now, really for the Vegas in the book, I think that makes sense. Mm. And that would that would be a good saying. But I, I don't have an issue with it. Like, uh, I think it was sort of convenient for the plot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um... But uh, I I didn't I didn't think much about it other than that really, um, yeah I, I again I think it's a lot of place for for this version of New Vegas, um, but for the book that 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 would make sense, um, a policy yeah. like that um, again I think it was just kind of convenience because, you know, it it allowed Tom Cullen to be put into a position where he could, you right. know, escape eventually basically.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, let's let's follow the thread of New Vegas, and then we'll talk about Boulder um, mm-hmm. here in a bit. But um, I just want to say this one thing: uh, Dana and Julie, uh, like they're setting up the threesome with with um, with Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we get the kind of standard like <clears throat> she's hiding the scissors, and she's like doing that. Like it's all just. It again. It just feels piecemealed. It's like okay, now yeah. she's in this room. Like like she's doing that. It's like they're manufacturing the suspense. Yeah. Um. But whatever. But I do want to say that I do like. I like Julie Lowry as a character. I think she's interesting and she's dangerous and everything. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like this way that they're playing it with h- her and Lloyd. Because she's like she's playing him, and like she has that like like that look over to uh, uh, Dana earlier uh, in this in the in the episode where she's just like kind of mimicking like vomiting when she says something about like set like calls Lloyd Daddy or something yeah um and uh but like I love that she like that she's she's kind of like uh, um. Fooling around with Lloyd, and then and then she's purposely saying Flag's name. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I love that. I, I I don't know. I I really got a huge kick out
2: of that. I thought that was entertaining. Yeah, totally. Um, I I also feel like um, the whole this whole progression progression in this episode of Dana mm-hmm. was really a disservice to her character because <laughs> me too. Again, she's she's realized really well in the book mm-hmm. as being like this kind of badass. Mm-hmm. Um. And yes. they did a solid job with it in the nineties series too, like, mm-hmm. especially by the end. You know, yeah. she she really cons her way in here right. and everybody's kind of buying her con, if you will. Yeah. Um but in in this series, I feel like yes. she she's so like obvious.
1: It, exact it's it's they're playing up the nerves of her, like the nervous nature of her because they want it to be this suspenseful thing. And everything—it's just completely discrediting or discounting the actual like character work from the text. Where, like, like you said, she's a badass. She's, right. Like, she infiltrates Flag's like organization, mm-hmm. and she becomes like, like she she uh uh becomes involved with his right hand man. Right. And, like that's a calculated thing. And here it's just like she's along for the ride with Julie Lowry, and she's just kind of like hiding,
2: and and she's not sure how to proceed. It's it's not.
1: And she she goes compelling. and she
2: goes and finds Tom Cullen and tells him to believe yeah. Like, that's not... No, that's not... Like, that's why? horrible. Right. Why?
1: What reason?
2: I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, that I, that made me mad, because I was like, why the fuck is she doing this? Yeah. like Because, again, part of her being a badass is that she was a really fucking good spy. Yes. And she had everybody singing her tune and completely mm. strung along, except Randall Flagg, because he can see into people's minds and shit. Right. He knew who she was already. Yeah. There's nothing she could do about that, but Lloyd Henry was completely fooled by her. Right. as Along with everybody else. And, and she was there for... Yeah. Like a month or whatever, right. and this just was so rushed. And she mm-hmm. was—I'm not discrediting what's her name, Natalie Martinez, the actress. Yes, I'm not discrediting her. I'm discrediting the writing and and yeah. what they wanted her character to do because she's just so obvious, like. Mm-hmm. These these looks and this nervousness that she has, I'm like that is not that is not Dana Juergens at all. No, not at all. I, I I did not agree with that.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, point out uh, Natalie, Mer, uh, Natalie Martinez, mm-hmm. uh, an alum of Stephen King. She Under was the Dome. In Under the Dome. Yeah. And also an alum of CBS All Access. She was in a season two episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, also to go back to the scene where, uh, Julie, uh, is fucking with Lloyd and says, uh, flag, it says flag's name to, to kind of get him out of the mood and get him to not perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my notes, I just have the word flagsid. <laughs> uh, like you <he> meant flagsid. <laughs> God damn uh, so, it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the big scene with Dana meeting with flag. Yeah. How did you feel about this? scene and how it played out
2: eh, it was okay um i feel like to kind of talk about randall flagg i feel like we were really building towards him and, and building towards something where he was going to really come out of his shell mm-hmm. and i feel like i don't want to jump ahead but i feel like it never happens um and and i feel like this scene was going to be the start of that where we were yeah. going to really start to feel just how formidable and scary and terrifying he -hmm. is as a character and uh it it didn't happen in this scene it wasn't there i I feel like the 90s miniseries did a better job with this scene. oh interesting um i i really wasn't a fan again it felt it felt abrupt and rushed Mm -hmm. and and dana was just so along for the ride and shocked by everything and again just not in keeping with her character at all Mm -hmm. like in the book, and in the series, she tries to... St- she stabs him, and it doesn't do anything. And so she immediately is just like, well, I'm fucked. And she just... She kills herself. Yeah. And it's crazy, and it's mm-hmm. fucking kick-ass. Oh, yeah. But in this version, I feel like she's so... Oh, my God, what just happened? What? Yeah. Really? Like, she's a deer in the fucking headlights. And I'm right. like, no, no,
1: no, and no. In her sticking the bottle into her throat, it's like... It's this... Again, it has this weird, like... Uh, sadness to it like well okay i'm gonna have to do this like it's right it's very like upsetting and it, it's yeah. a weird thing because it's not how she should be it's like this is she's doing her duty to save her friends and save the people that they're yeah. seeing in the and book everything. it's like a fuck
2: you yes like she looks yes. him in the eye and slits her own throat it's like right. fuck you and it's like hell yeah that's badass as shit yes but that's not at all what happens here
1: i i will say that the scene like where flag there's two things about flag in the scene that i really liked one is that he tries to undercut dana's expectations of him and it, he's like she's like what are you going to are you going to string like crucify me or something um then uh he's like N- no i'm just going to send you home mm-hmm. um you know uh and then oh and then she's like and you're just stringing up all these all these people uh and you're crucifying them and everything on on phone poles and then he's like you know regular people like like the guy that you know was well, held you captive and assaulted you and stuff <laughs> like those those are the kind of people that are li- like those are the kind of people that I'm Chris fine like he's trying to manipulate her into coming to his to his side and i right. i like that and then also i i like the um like the him trying to get the name of the third spy which is true to the book and everything mm-hmm. and the thing that i love That And I'm upset that this isn't a bigger thing in this series, apparently, is Dana says, you can see so much, but you can't see that. That must be driving you fucking insane. And then Mm -hmm. that's when she stabs him with the scissors. Yeah. And I'm like, that, out of context, that in its own bubble is badass. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it is plays into this thing that I loved about the book, where he is an emperor with no clothes. He is someone who is kind of uh you know he's 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 not a um he he's not a, he's not uh, in as as much control as he purports to be and that kind of that kind of power dynamic is is not really present uh, except for in that one line so yeah yeah so that's the end of that and then let's talk a little bit about a little bit about boulder
2: <laughs> yeah
1: um so okay um there's there's some stuff that happened in this Jesus, um, so <laughs> my notes are all out of uh, sync. So we get uh, Teddy Weizak is discovered and everything. Harold, there's a, there's a scene in an episode of Wings from the <laughs> '90s where uh, Lowell, played by Thomas Hayden Church, finds out that a friend of his has died. And he go like they they the the people that his friends put together this intervention to kind of like like break the news to him, and then like they explain like oh there's like however many stages of grief so he's gonna go through all of these things he's gonna go through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And uh, and then he like the scene. It's it's kind of brilliant because Thomas Hayden Church just plays it. He just like immediately goes through each and every one. <laughs> and it, it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's kind of what Harold does <laughs> in this scene. Yeah. Um, to a lesser extent, but I, and it works because it's Harold acting. Um, and I, I I like Owen Teague's kind of layered performance there, where he's pretending to be this upset when he knows the truth. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I like that part. Um, again, it's I, you can sort of see through it, and it's but it but it makes sense. Like it's the opposite of what you know Dana was doing in New Vegas. Like she, that's not in keeping with the character. But what uh, what Harold's doing here is in keeping with the character because he's yeah. you know he's again he's pretending, and it and it mm-hmm. makes sense. And he's not some badass. He's right. He's Harold. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I like that scene a lot too.
1: Yep, and then kind of moving along, um, there's one scene with Mother Abigail scolding Nick about sending the spies, which could that not give
2: thing, less of a fuck. I know, just like, <laughs> <She> didn't
1: care. <laughs> that is so. That is so. It bothered. It bothers me in a weird way, like because yeah. I don't remember the book being about like this whole like the sending spies is in defiance of Mother Abigail. Yeah, like, like it's it's weird. It's yeah. They're creating this this conflict it seems solely to fill time like like to manufacture this drama that doesn't exist or shouldn't exist when they should allocate that time to developing the fucking characters (laughs) yeah yeah but I, do, I will say that since this is like the one scene with mother abigail and nick and and all that like the way that she's scolding him kind of reminds me of like that archetype of like the uh like the police captain uh <laughs> yeah raiding uh loose cannon right so like i have in in my notes i have damn it nick you're a loose cannon i guess the rules don't apply to you you're suspended hand over your gun and your eye patch now <laughs> nice um, that's funny yeah Uh, so yeah, and then we get more, um, we get our one, uh, indication of Nadine and Larry having a romantic connection of some kind, because Nadine is dreaming of Larry, and then she eventually goes and, uh, uh, propositions him, but he shuts her down. So, there's that. In the one in one episode, I, it just
2: bothers me. Yeah, and it again was really thrown together, and mm-hmm. just it seemed, it seemed out of place. Yeah, um, for the character that they had presented. Yes. you know, in the book, again, it's a huge fucking pivotal scene, and it's right. really um, uh, unfortunate and tragic. And mm-hmm. again, they did a solid job with it in the '90s miniseries. Yeah. Um, but it's it was it was out of place in right. in this uh in the series and, and, and with her character. It didn't um, I I agree. Yeah.
1: Um and then we get Franny asking Larry to break into Harold's house. This is after she has a scene where she invites him over to dinner, uh Harold over to dinner after he just got jerked off in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's like it's I <sighs> I love that scene with Franny and Larry. I do when he's chopping wood and she's asking him to, to break into Harold's house. Like, I like that because that is a character scene between two characters in the committee in the f- Boulder Free Zone, like, cons- not conspiring, but they're trying to work out something to figure out what's going on. I like that on paper. Mm-hmm. The problem is, I don't understand why the fuck she's asking him of, asking that of him, because I don't see the suspicion that she has of Harold, because again, like every fucking thing in the show, they're telling us things and not showing them to us. Right. It is so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, there's just no build up of her doubt. Um, and, and because of that, the scene in the hallway where she invites him to dinner is like the one scene where you, you need to have that kind of growing, kind of, uh, hesitance or that, that growing doubt. And like that puts so much weight on that scene and none of that is there. Yeah. It's just, ugh, it's annoying.
2: Yeah. And that's the, the dinner scene was just weird. It was, yeah. I, I don't know why Harold chose to, have that weird confrontational moment i i agree at first it was almost like he was giving himself away i, I th- it does
1: feel that way but I think that it was an awkward an awkward thing to um uh as a, to use as a pretense to go upstairs and leave the nanny cam because um, oh, okay. he's like well is it can I go to the bathroom and wash splash some water on my face yeah um which I mean, there's like a million different ways you can do that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know.
2: Is it just for 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 his character? It seemed because he's usually so calculated. Yeah, and that seems. And he's yeah. very misguided.
1: Yeah, and he yeah. like you said, it does give him away. It's like it's too because right. he like his whole persona is pretending <clears throat> to be normal, like having the Tom Cruise picture. Right. Um, yeah. And then, so that's intercut with Larry breaking into the house. I mean, that's all fine stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of weird. I do want to point out. Um, cause I know that in particular, I know Robert in Utah, who is a listener, um, would, would kill me if I didn't bring this up. (laughs) There is, first of all, the show has done a really good job of having good needle drops of music, like licensing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And in the scene where Larry is walking through the house and everything, it is scored by, uh, the song Goodbye by, uh, Apparat, which is apparently the theme music for Dark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, we still need to watch and review for Obsessive Europe We do. We will, I promise. <laughs> um, but I will say that that use of that song in that moment, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and it makes me kind of want to see, definitely want to see
2: the show dark. Yeah, it's a tense moment.
1: Yeah. And then we get kind of just um, another kind of manufactured suspense thing with, you know, Harold leaving. Um, and then Franny having to call Larry. And it's just very much just like, cookie cutter suspense television yeah um and that's it's fine right um and then kind of the closing thought um for the for the whole episode is uh harold the voyeur the voyeur <laughs> um that was creepy that was unsettling
2: yeah it was yeah creepy but yeah that was like and that was like the first actual moment of intimacy that we ever saw between right um stew and fran
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. i agree and
1: uh yeah um, and I want to say that the, I don't know if this is a, this is a, um, I, I don't know if this is an intentional reference point or anything, cause it's kind of a stretch, but, um, Harold's little basement with the screens and everything, uh, reminded me a lot of Mr. Mercedes and Brady Hartsfield's kind of command center in the mm-hmm. basement. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. Totally. Yep. And then the episode closes out with Ray Brentwood uh, finding Mother A's note on the door, and Abigail leaving um, the Boulder Free Zone, which mm-hmm. fine. Yep. And then the closing credits is scored to "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Blue Oyster Cult. Hmm, nice. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So overall thoughts.
2: Yeah. This, again, this is where the train started to derail. Yep. Uh, for me, and just I can't. I cannot get behind a lot of what's happening in New Vegas yeah um, but again they they nailed a few things and it was so effective but it was just completely off off put by what they chose to do with the character of Lloyd Henry and mm. I I just can't I just can't
1: I yeah I can understand that I just I yeah I it it it's a mess I I like the aesthetics of New Vegas and everything just mm-hmm. it's like I said it's just it's a fault of the the structure of the entire show, it, it's yeah. just, it is, it is a, it is an uphill climb and it's a losing battle. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's our review of Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. Um. All right. So, we are going to finish out this episode with a review of episode six, The Vigil.
3: You're my only connection to, to the world before all of this shit happened. I, I need that. Don't
2: start pretending like you care about me. You think I didn't see how you treated me? Like I was the plague itself.
3: You think nobody cared about you, but it's just not true. We were there all along. All the people who cared about you were there all along, and we still are.
1: Um, which uh, originally aired on CBS All Access, soon to be Paramount Plus. Um, a mere five days after Young Tiny's birthday, <laughs> <What the fuck? laughs> um, it aired January twenty first, twenty twenty one. Uh, the plot summary is the trash can man, Jesus Christ, makes his way to New Vegas while Flag and Abigail meet for the first time. So, I don't have many notes for this. So, the trash can man, let's just talk about that. Ezra Miller, um, we get the opening scene with him setting the bomb and setting it off, jerking off to it, which, fine, I don't Mm. think he really jerked off in the, in the book. Right. But, um, but, uh, I don't know i will say the visual effects of the b- the bomb exploding the the kind of oil rigs or whatever it was mm-hmm. that exploded whew, little little rough. little rough yeah and like i wouldn't nitpick that if the story did not have the 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 main climax of the whole story wasn't kind of contingent on visual effects. All right. Um, so that makes me a little bit nervous for what's to come, but, uh, but it also was a little bit nervous for what was coming. Out. I was going to say, what's the to come joke. is
2: the trash can man. Yes. Yeah.
1: How'd you feel about Ezra Miller as a trash can man? And I'm not going to make that joke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, to part number two of what the fuck are they doing with that mm-hmm. character? Um, this one is again what what Ezra Miller is doing with Trash Can Man I I don't get it and I don't mm-hmm. think it was a good decision and it's fucking weird and I, again he's a character with a lot of fucking depth in the book yeah. and he's got he's he's got all these social issues and in this what Ezra Miller's doing what he's not a character he's just a mm. I don't even know how to describe him. Um he's just um a, a madman with no depth at all. He's a a yeah. one-track mind uh pyromaniac and that's not that's a big part of his character in the mm-hmm. book, but there's so much more to him than that. Yes. And again, this is like the <clears throat> I would say Trash Can Man is the least developed character of any major character <laughs> because he's not, he's not a character.
1: I, I agree <laughs> because we get two scenes of him. Yeah. In the sixth episode right. of a nine episode miniseries. Yeah. And he plays such a pivotal role. Right. In the book, in the story at the end. Like, I, mm-hmm. oh my God. God, what are they doing? Yeah. It's it's so frustrating. And I was so excited for Ezra Miller because like on paper, this character is perfect for him. Is perfect for him. And it is a it is a character that I imagine an actor can have so much fun with. Yeah. Because he's so he's so crazy and everything. But the show is so dependent on not on, on avoiding characterization. Mm-hmm. Like there are two things Oh my god. God, I, I can't believe I'm gonna make this comparison in another fucking Stephen King adaptation. <laughs> but when you see the kind of flashes when he has his vision with the Dark Man, um, you hear, you overhear like his mother's voice or someone's voice saying like, what's this I hear about you torching Old lady, whatever's uh, pension check, mm-hmm. which is it, it's a it's a thing in the book. It's it's part of his character development and everything, but it's contained to a voiceover, right? In in this kind of just sensory overload, which I thought was really cool, like visually and everything. But that, and then. You hear him as he's as he's leaving the penthouse and he's going off on his adventure to go get the fire. Squawking like a fucking bird. Squawking like a fucking bird <laughs> and saying like he's saying barely detectable, he's saying, My life for you, my yeah. life for you. Yeah. And you I don't know why. Like, I, right. That is such like it is a big part of his character yeah. in this show. I don't know why. And I can't believe I'm gonna make this comparison. In another fucking Stephen King adaptation, but why is such a pivotal part of his backstory and a pivotal part of his character relegated to just a voiceover narration like in the Dark Tower movie when 15 minutes into the fucking movie you get the gunslinger, or the, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. The iconic <laughs> line is a voiceover. <laughs> God! Yeah. They did it again! <laughs> <laughs> it's just so frustrating.
2: It really is.
1: Um... I will say that two things about about Trashcan Man in his two scenes. Um, one is that uh, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> like, uh, I thought it was interesting that Flag doesn't appear to him as Flag like he does with everyone else. Like, he appears to him as like the Dark Man, as someone you can't see his face or anything, and he sees visions mm-hmm. and everything, and like. I'm sitting there six episodes into a nine episode miniseries and I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what the point is of that. And then I realized probably not a fucking point because they don't care. Like it does not seem like they care about making any choices that have anything going on below the surface. So what I think it is, is just simply that trash can man is such a, such a, such a scatterbrain fractured mind kind of thing that they're just doing the vision like that. And that's fine. But it's also to what end? I don't, I don't right. get it. It's the one time where a vision of of Randall Flag is obscured and and different, but there's no purpose to it other than just the person seeing him.
2: Yeah, it's annoying. I don't <laughs> get it. Yeah, I just such a huge failure <laughs> mm-hmm. with anything to do with Trash Can Man. Yes, in this in this series.
1: I, I will say uh, the other thing about him is that uh, the jealousy that Lloyd has over him mm-hmm. kind of works. A it little does.
2: Bit. It was a, a, a surprisingly human moment from yeah. this iteration of Lloyd Henry, right? Yeah.
1: Which speaking of <laughs> oh fuck, <laughs> speaking of Vegas, um, you know the the very very well developed character the the cherished character of this miniseries the the second or third spy uh, Judge Ferris <laughs> what who, the fuck yeah. like I I was so irritated yeah like you get scenes of her in the in the motel I think at the end of the last episode or the beginning of this episode yeah. And then you get the setup of Lloyd, like Rand- Randall Flagg saying like, Hey, we need her alive. And I, I like this idea that they need her alive so that he can try to suss out what the, th- who the third spy is. Like, that's an interesting thing. Cause I think, cause, cause th- he doesn't need, he, sh- he doesn't need, uh, Judge Ferris in the book alive. He specifically says, don't, don't mutilate his face because they want, he wants to cut off his head and send it back to Boulder. Yeah. And like, I fucking love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's amazing. But like having it be like, dope, take her alive so that we can we can figure out who the third spy is." Like that's that's okay. It's fine. I kind of like that. It fucking happens off screen. I know. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> and, oh my god! I
2: yeah. Fuck. Judge Ferris has like eight lines in the whole fucking yeah, series. That's I it. think
1: that's being generous. Honestly, yeah, I, yeah. It's god damn it. I know. And then. I do like that... I do like the scene that plays out in, in response to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and say it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try it. I was yelling this at my cat earlier today. <laughs> Bobby Terry! <laughs> you messed it all up! I think that's what he says.
3: Bobby Terry! You screwed it up!
1: <laughs> um, I I really... I, I really like that just fucking bonkers kill in the elevator, the glass elevator as mm-hmm. it's descending. I thought that was really cool.
2: I, I liked the idea of it, but okay. I thought it could have been filmed better.
1: Oh, sure. I thought
2: it missed a lot of... Like, g- get us in there and show us the gore and... Mm-hmm. Like, we saw the blood, but I don't know. I, I just thought it was a little... Um, Could have been filmed better. I'll put it that way.
1: I agree. The aftermath of it though, when the, when the doors open and you see like the, the, the intestines and everything is really cool.
2: That's true. Yeah.
1: Um, I also want to single out that actor, Clifton Collins Jr.
2: Love Clifton Collins Jr.
1: Love, love, love him. He's like, he's one of, he's one of, probably one of my favorite character actors. Yeah. Um, shout out to his few episode, uh, run on, uh, FX's The Shield. The Shield. yeah. 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 Love that guy. Yep.
2: Um, (laughs) So,
1: uh, yeah.
2: Did you notice the name of the motorcycle club on his cut? You didn't notice that?
1: I didn't. Really? I don't think I did.
2: Um, I can't remember exactly what it said, but uh, the motorcycle club was called, um, fuck, something. uh, Damn it. I really wish I would have, like, screamed. I was so sure you would have brought it up.
1: I, I watched this episode today while
2: I was cooking food. So, okay, yeah. Um, the fuck. It's um, it's called like uh, the name of the motorcycle club on the back of his jacket is right. like um, fuck. It's like uh the agents of Discordia or something like that. Really? Yeah. Motherfuck. Yeah. Something what? with Discordia or Discord. Yeah.
1: I love that.
2: I know it's cool.
1: God damn it! I (laughs) wish I would have noticed that. Yeah. Why did I have to fucking cook tonight? (laughs) Um, I'm googling. uh, Man, and I didn't. I that did not even register with me um, when I saw when I saw it the first time. Yeah. Man. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Pro tip. Uh, typing in Bobby Terry Motorcycle Club Jacket does not take you to the stand,
2: uh... <laughs> nice. I'm trying to find a picture of it, but I'm not really seeing it. Man,
1: I am ashamed. Uh, I have forgotten the face of my father.
2: You have. Uh, yes. Uh, it might be in, like, trivia or something. Let's um. see, episode six, right? Um...
1: Man, that, well, another Easter egg that, um, I did catch was the pattern on the carpet as they're walking through, uh, the casino. Uh huh. Um, it's the shining carpet from the yeah, Kubrick movie. Yeah. I noticed that. So, so I'm, I'm not totally unobservant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: It's just funny because typically you, you pick I, up on that kind of stuff.
1: I honestly, that is so. Man, that is, that is, that is, I'm, I'm so shocked that I didn't pick it up because I'm, if I had picked it up when I first saw it, I would have just jumped at it. I would have been (laughs) so excited. I would have put it in my notes and everything. Yeah. Uh, Chords of Discord.
2: There we go. Nomads. Lords of Discord.
1: Lords of Discord. Okay. Yeah. What did I say? Chords of Discord? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or cards of Discord? I don't fucking know. Um, yeah, but anyway, uh, I thought that was cool
2: um yeah yeah i can't tell what the insignia is or like the logo or whatever but yeah i mean it has to be a dark tower reference
1: i i would think so um i think if it said discordia that would be a little bit i I would i think i don't know i'm impressed like good job thanks (laughs) uh so yeah that is is neat um so, a couple of things about this episode in terms of Boulder. Um, they're searching for Mother Abigail. That's cool and everything. Uh, I like the scene, even though it's, again, another kind of just vignette on the journey of Harold Lauder. Um, where he's talking to Stu in the woods, and he, like, has the gun. And he's, like, he's, like, about to, or he's, like, thinking, contemplating shooting Stu. And I'm just, like, that's cool and everything, but also, to what end? Because, like, he has a plan in motion. Right. And, like, it's... I don't know if it's supposed to say, like, well, he's so hell-bent on killing Stu. It's also like, we don't see that growth. We don't see that yeah. characterization. We're told it.
2: Right. But yeah, anyway. It doesn't happen organically. Nope.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, as far as Mother Abigail, um, again, I, I this is the, my biggest issue with the show. Not my biggest issue with the show, but one of one issue I have with the show is having flag. And Mother Abigail face off, face to face, and had that conversation.
2: I was so disinterested in that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And it's just, it's,
1: it's not, it's not needed. Like, one of the most compelling things about this move, this, this storyline is that we have two people that are representing both, like, either side of the good versus evil spectrum. And they have agents in their employ to fight for them on their behalf. Mm -hmm. That's why I said, that's why I made such a huge deal about how it feels so much like it's like, like how much I, it opened my eyes when rereading it, how much Lost was inspired by it, because Lost, in the grand scheme of things, has a similar kind of like good versus evil fight. Yeah. And like, here it's just like, it's trying so hard to boil that down and just do the most like, um, do the most direct and in-your-face approach to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, it's lacking subtlety for me, and it's just
2: not working. It's, yeah, it's not nuanced at all. No. The only thing I like about their, I think there's one other scene where they kind of interact, maybe, uh, in a dream or something. There was a scene in another where episode. the
1: wolf comes to her. The wolf, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and it's like so, growling.
2: That one, and then this scene where she's in, out in the woods. Mm-hmm. The only thing I like about it is the fact that both of those times, she you could tell that like she was not afraid at all.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: Through her body language and all that stuff, you could tell she was not at all afraid. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of a cool part of her character, because, you know... Like, Me too. That makes sense, but that's about the only thing I liked about it, really.
1: And uh, frankly, she should have been afraid, because she just... Scolded her
2: star detective (laughs) and and everything. (laughs) Um, Give me your gun and your (laughs) iPad. Your gun and your (laughs) iPad. Um.
1: So yeah. Um. A couple other things. Uh. Because I don't have complete notes for this. Um. There are seeds of doubt and moments of potential good for Nadine and Harold. Like each character has like their own like pivotal moment in this episode where they have like their turning, turning point moment. Like um, Nadine is worried about Joe being at the vigil because you know, she knows it's about to be exploded. Right. And then Harold has the kind of the scene with, with uh, Franny, which we'll talk about. Um, But they each have like this on the surface. I kind of thought, okay, I, 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 I was kind of ready to dislike it, but, it feels like it is honoring the book in a, in a, in an interesting way because one of the most compelling things about the boulder free zone portion of the book is Harold kind of wrestling with with what he what he is about to do but not wrestling with it in terms of not in the way not in the kind of surface level way that the show is doing he wrestles with it in the book because he is like finding himself actually being accepted in in the community mm-hmm. um, but he's so hellbent on on destruction here it's like oh he's not so hell bent on destruction he's just like I I don't know like he saw his friend get killed and then now he's having cold feet and it just feels like it feels very uh, lopsided it like I could buy into that if that kind of um, that reticence was more organically pursued throughout the throughout the arc right but it's not
2: it's just a further symptom of an unrealized
0: character
1: yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is the name of my autobiography. Um, what is or my, it? My memoir. Uh, another symptom of an undevelop or un whatever you said. Unrealized character. <laughs> <laughs> unrealized character. <laughs> whatever you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another symptom of an unrealized character. The Matt
2: Hurd story. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. Uh,
1: okay, so let's get to the big moment. Yeah, of this episode. Um, <sighs> fuck. Okay, so they, <laughs> they blow up the house. It. I. I. I like that it's at a vigil. I, I. I. I guess I like. I don't. I'm indifferent to it. Right. Because in the book, he's purposely targeting the committee. Right. And they are collected in their committee meeting, and, oh, fuck, and it's such a good point in the book, it's such a great moment, it's a, such a great Stephen King moment, and here it's just, oh, they're all huddled around the house, and Nick Andros, who is in the book, he he stays behind to try to find the bomb and try to defuse it or try to get rid of it and everything mm-hmm. so his friends can get to safety and everything. They fuck.
2: The dynamic is completely gone. It's
1: completely gone. He stops at the doorway and looks at the fucking piano. <laughs> right, and
2: that's what kills him. Right,
1: like, God damn it! I
2: don't get it either. Yeah, I, such a weird. Yeah, I I don't know what they were going for. Why why they made these choices? Like, I just at this point I'm I was a little checked out and like uh-huh. your emotional reaction you just had. Like right. I was just like, I, I don't have the capacity to react that way. Cause it's like, I just, I'm, I'm not, I don't care that much at this point. Right. Cause they're just shitting the bed pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I agree 100% with your, I think you're absolutely right. Like they just, again, it's just shitty writing. It's unrealized characters, unrealized plot, yeah. not well developed at all. And just major structural issues.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. uh, to kind of go back, Franny confronting Harold in, in his basement. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I like that, I guess.
2: Me too. I actually like that scene. Okay. Yeah. Good. I, it, it's just, I think it's, it's actually well written. The dialogue is, and Owen Teague and Odessa Young both do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's heartbreaking. It's actually kind of heartbreaking. Like, I think it was actually pretty well done. Um, and it's not in the, obviously it's not in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one area or one moment where they actually, I think, made a good decision. And that was actually well done. Um, yeah, I just, I thought it was kind of tragic and heartbreaking. And, um, yeah, just well done.
1: Yeah. I, I, I like that it is, ex- it's exploring that humanity between the two, that, that yeah. human connection that they, that they have, even though it's not the connection that, that Harold wants, uh, or pursued. It's still like when she tells him that, like, oh, you, you're my only connect, like, you're the only person who knows me before this, and I'm the only person who knows you before this, and everything. Like, you're the only mm-hmm. person left from that world. And like, that's all good and everything. And I guess I'm kind of back and forth on it, or I'm kind of, I'm so married to the book and how everything is just so, cause like, cause the show isn't really showing this evolution of Harold, like, like the entire, the, Harold's act, his, 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 his explosion kind of sneaks up on the rest of the group and the rest of the community and everything. And here yeah. it's just so, like, not that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I kind of feel like they, they chose to do kind of this ticking time bomb thing, like this, Like, the one person who knows what's happening is trapped in the basement and has to escape and then run, um, and warn everyone, but it doesn't get there in time and Nick stares at a piano. Um, (laughs) it's, it's just, it just feels like it's the show defaulting into tropish suspense television rather than doing something that would, that would be more, uh, constructive to the overall narrative. Yeah. Um, and I say that having liked the connection dialogue between the two, right. it also, it makes me question, like, is she just saying that so that he doesn't explode everybody? <laughs> right. Um, like, what, like, what's, to what end is she doing this? Because we haven't seen that before.
3: Yeah.
2: So and it's too little too late. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, anything else about this episode?
2: Uh, no. Okay. No, not really, no.
1: Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else yeah next time on the show we are going to be talking about um episodes seven through nine uh which are the walk the stand and franny um something something uh oh i have it in my notes i'm such an idiot (laughs) um coda franny and the well yeah um which i'm 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 excited um uh we haven't watched those episodes yet Um, that last episode doesn't premiere until Thursday. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited because that episode is written by Stephen King and it is a, it's the, it's, it's a, it's an epilogue essentially. Yeah. Um, Right. So I'm, I'm excited for that. The denouement. Yes. So that should be fun.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, all right. I think that'll do it. I don't have anything else. Um, I've kept you way past your bedtime, (laughs) Tiny. So I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all right. Um, all right. So, uh, uh, to close out the episode, just to remind you guys, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. One to two dollars per month, you get access to an exclusive RSS feed, which we have a clip at the end of every episode to kind of tease, uh, tease out what it is. Um, and then if you pledge five dollars every month, you get access to that plus, um, commentary tracks that I record. Um, And then if you pledge $10, you get early access to episodes as I edit them and uh, unreleased episodes that I find in my hard drives. So uh, do that, uh, please. That would be awesome. Um, Yeah, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. If you can. If not, it's cool. Um, Yeah. Uh, Tiny, any parting thoughts?
2: Uh, Let's get this over with. All right, cool. Meaning Um, the series. The series, yes,
1: yes. (laughs) Um, I'm so excited to do non stand stuff. Yeah. Um, It's going to be fun. Yeah. All right, so thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time, and long days and pleasant nights.
2: And may you have twice the number. Yes.
1: And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 million, per month. Million, Thank million you and enjoy. Never, ever, ever happen. But how freaking cool would it be if some, like... Like... Someone with the, um... The clout and the money of like a Disney or like a huge, like, like Apple or something. Mm -hmm. What if they, what if they went out and they bought the rights to every single Stephen King property? Like, ever, like they, they tracked down every single uh, rights holder and fucking bought it from them and just like they, they basically buy the rights to every single thing Stephen King has ever published or will publish or has not published, but has like in a crate in his office. And what if they took that (laughs) and created like they, they did the Disney, they did like a Disney thing. And what if they took that and they started fresh every single adaptation that they would do under their, under their umbrella, would be all part of a connected universe of Stephen King adaptations. And it would all feed through this, like a lengthy, uh, Dark Tower adaptation that every, like, character that kind of filters in and out will go into different Stephen King things. Like characters that are characters in one of his, one of his stories that pop up in the Dark Tower will be played by the same actor. And it's all this cohesive thing how cool would that be
2: you're talking about the sku <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yes the s the sku <laughs> not like a barcode or anything
2: um, <laughs> oh yeah I forgot about that. yeah <laughs> um that would be super cool that would be so awesome like if there was just a stephen king tab on disney plus
1: oh yeah yeah maybe not disney plus <laughs> hbo <laughs> maybe like hbo max maybe. H- hbo max yeah
2: um that yeah that would be super cool man yeah
0: Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our TeePublic store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberandIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny Side Project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash as good as it gets banned. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty! You have an earring. <laughs>
3: Bye, guys!
2: Woo! Hope you'll forgive us for what we've done.